Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. So we've been looking at true happiness as possible through serving, and uh, this, this will be our last uh, message and sermon in, in Philippians chapter 2, and then we'll uh, head on to the next chapter, Philippians chapter 3. But some of you may have watched the uh, Georgia football uh, game Monday night, and uh, well, let's just say that Georgia Bulldogs won pretty easily, right, over the TCU Horned Frogs. Uh, that's an interesting mascot. But anyway, Texas Christian University came in, strong team, obviously beat Michigan, uh, but uh, the Georgia Bulldogs had a phenomenal night and, and won uh, very handedly. Now, at the end of the game, Kirby Smart received for his team the huge trophy for the college football championship. There was an MVP award given out to Stetson Bennett the fourth. You know, if he has a son, will he be the fifth? You know, who knows? But so he, was received, he received a reward, an award for that. And all of us have probably been to some type of awards ceremony. So I'm going to ask you real quick, what is an award that you have received in your life that at the time, maybe it's not special anymore, but at the time, it was very special to you then? Who, who can tell me? An award you received is special at the time. David? Fantastic. Won regionals for piano in Indiana. Awesome. All right, Kim? I, I did not know that. I've been married to Kim all these years and did not know that she won at some point a bust of Beethoven. And why we don't have that in our house now, I don't know. Sean? Fantastic. First place, graduate research forum, Auburn University. Very good. Anybody else? Special award. This is your time to shine, folks. Some of you have heard about, okay, Sean, here you go. Be careful around Sean. Third place when he was seven in Taekwondo. So he's, he's the man. But uh, we all like to receive awards. I've, I've mentioned to some of you how I received my first trophy as the uh, biggest Campbell soup label collector in kindergarten. A thousand and something Campbell soup labels I turned into the school that year. Go ahead and you can, you can clap for me. That's a big award, but it was my first trophy, and, and we, we enjoy receiving awards. So from kindergarten graduation to middle school to high school, college, you know, postgraduate, uh, awards are given to that. Uh, you may have heard the terms, you know, magna cum laude. You know what that means? It means with great praise. So if somebody, you know, graduates magna cum laude, it's with great praise. Well, what about summa cum laude? That means with the highest distinction. And so in education, there's awards in the military. There's the Medal of Honor, a very coveted award that is given just to an elite few that have really stood out among their peers as they serve our country. Uh, Nobel Prizes, Pulitzer Prize, Golden Globes, Emmy Award, the Grammy Award, the Tony Award. So as you can see, as humans, we, we, just, we enjoy getting awards, and we like to think about the rewards that are possible even when we uh, look at an employment opportunity, we like to look at their benefit packages and will you match you know, the, the 401k and uh, are, are there future things, dividends perhaps, that, uh, that you'll pay? As we look in Philippians chapter 2, we'll see in this passage, and I've saved this passage, it's not the end of the chapter, uh, but we'll look at verses 9 through 16 and we see rewards here that God has promised. We've already looked at the requirements, uh, thinking about our position in Christ being unified, is that, uh, that position in Christ kind of serves as a strong magnet to unify us together, and then we serve humbly. We looked at the model of Jesus Christ, who is perfect, 
uh, but also the men of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And now we begin to see what are the rewards uh, that God offers to those who faithfully serve him. First of all, a blessed life. A blessed life. Look with me in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. Christ was exalted above all. So this passage comes right after how he emptied himself and how he was obedient even to death on the cross. And then notice what we see in Philippians 2.9. Therefore, so pointing back to all the verses that we've just looked at in previous weeks about Christ, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name uh, that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A few things that's important about this, that God has exalted uh, God the Son, Jesus Christ, in such a manner that we have to believe, this very next point, the only way to heaven is through Christ. Thanks, Peter. Peter's uh, getting the handouts ready. If, if you haven't uh, gotten one of those, go ahead and let Peter know and he'll get you one. But the only way to heaven is through Christ. For that, that's why we don't agree with the thought that, well, if you're sincere and if you are you know, searching after some religion or some, some higher being, then all roads lead to the same path. Well, in Scripture we see no. Um, it says that Jesus is the only way to heaven. If I were to take you know, this, you know, this microphone here, and I say, okay, this microphone is, is, a, is a black microphone. You go, no, 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 the microphone is white, Pastor David. I said, no, actually, actually it's black. No, 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 it's white. We can't both be correct. There is a truth to, to one statement or the other. So just like Jesus Christ, we can't say, well, you know, Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. He is the only Savior, or he isn't. Both people and both ideas cannot be true. And we see all throughout Scripture, he says himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So either he is the only way or he isn't. Either he is the only name under heaven by which we can be saved, according to Acts 4.12, or his name isn't the only way for salvation. But God has exalted him above every name, it says, so the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. So since this is true... Then the second point rings loud and clear. The time to believe that Jesus is Lord is now. This passage makes it very clear that every single human being at some point will recognize and will bow and say, Yes, Jesus, you are Lord. But I beg of you, if you haven't made this decision yet, the time is now when you still have life here on earth, you still have the opportunity to spend eternity in heaven, to have your sins forgiven, to know Christ as your Redeemer, not just a good teacher, not to just somebody that was important in the past, not to just someone who actually split the timeline of history, and we have B.C. and A.D. that all the world recognizes, or at least historically is recognized, But you see that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. The time is now to accept that. Don't wait until the time of judgment when the only part that will happen then is, yes, you will declare, Jesus, you are Lord, but because of your denial and rejection during your life, you'll spend eternity in hell, in separation from God Almighty. So we see that Christ was exalted above all, but also we see we will be exalted by God. 
we will be exalted by God. James 4.10 makes this promise, and it says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So as we imitate Christ, as we are Christ followers, as we see how he emptied himself and was obedient to the death, uh, even to the death of the cross, as we follow Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can also learn and be encouraged by the example that we see what God did uh, for him in the Trinity, of exalting him above every name. God will exalt us as well as what James 4.10 says. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. It's been probably two years ago now, but we went through the church to study of the life of Joseph. There were a lot of things that happened in the life of Joseph that seemed like bad and, and, and terrible things. Uh, Mary had just read a little bit about Joseph and uh, on one of the mornings and on the way to school I asked her and, and she said you know, about Joseph being sold into slavery. And I said, Mary, can you imagine that if Jessica and Christina and Audrey one day were to take you and to sell you into slavery? You think about that for a minute. You know, when we read the story of Joseph, because we know the end and because we know that everything happens, it's easy to kind of skim over that and go, yeah, his brother sold him into slavery. What? But imagine the, the, the bitterness or the temptation to become bitter that Joseph faced, but yet all throughout his life we see, and God was with him. And God was with him. And Joseph, in every circumstance, although Joseph certainly wasn't a perfect man, but he, he did his best to see God in every moment and continue to be faithful. And we come to the end of his life in Genesis 50, and you'll see it on the screen. But Joseph said to them, to the brothers who had betrayed him, to not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God, and I love that. We see that little phrase in the Old Testament in this passage, and then we see it several times in the New Testament when we talk about the, our sinfulness and how we're lost and children of wrath. But we see this, this two-word phrase, but God. And it just shows his power. He shows that he's working behind the scenes. And so we follow on it says, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now we just fast forwarded through the life of Joseph, but there were many moments in life where Joseph could have thought, God, really? I'm humbling myself, I'm trying to be faithful, I'm serving you, but this is getting me nowhere. In fact, I seem to be going further and further. I'm sold into slavery, then I'm lied about, then I'm thrown into prison, then I'm forgotten about. But yet the promise came true. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you. What about Joshua? Think about Joshua who followed Moses. And I think it's very interesting how Joshua is introduced in Scripture. We don't, first of all, see Joshua as on the fast track to the leadership program and Joshua vice president. No, look at me, look with me in Exodus chapter 17, 9 and 10 of how we first are introduced to Joshua in the Old Testament. It says, So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. I want to pause there for a minute. I don't know about you, but in my human tendency, I, I think I would have asked for clarification. Okay, Moses, can you, can, you, can you tell me that plan again? Well, Joshua, I want you to choose some men, and I want you to go and fight Amalek, and I'm going to go up on top of the mountain you know, while you're fighting. 
Okay, Moses, let me get this straight. You want me to go choose men. I'm going to go do the fighting, and you're going to go sit on top of a mountain? But notice what happens. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So Joshua, is, he's just he's doing as best as he can. He's trying to follow the Lord. He's serving his leader Moses at that very moment. There's no, at this moment, there doesn't seem to be any indication that he's going to be exalted or, or given more leadership responsibilities, uh, but he is following God as best as he can. Now notice with me in Numbers eleven twenty eight, 28. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, the servant of Moses, from his youth, said, Lord Moses, said, my Lord Moses, stop them. So now he's called, again, he's not called, you know, the next in command. He's not called uh, the, the vice president. He's not called, you know, the chief, the general. He's just called the assistant, the servant of Moses. But yet Joshua continues to serve. And fast forward with me to Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people into the land that I have given to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory." No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. There's a huge difference from the very first moment that we see Joshua is just receiving orders and he goes and does them as a servant, as Moses' assistant. And now God, in his sovereign plan, Joshua's obedience and faithfulness, God gives him more responsibility and says, okay, now I want you to lead the nation. And this is the plan, and this is what I want to do through you. And Joshua, I'll be with you just like I was with Moses. As we humble ourselves before the Lord in whatever path God has called you in, whatever profession God calls you to, humble yourself and serve him and serve him in that profession with all of your heart. And as you do that, God will, there may be moments where you, you may not think, God, if this is exalting me, don't, don't exalt me anymore. But God has a plan to, to bless your life, to give you purpose, and to use you for his glory, just as he did uh, Joshua and Joseph. But not only do we see a blessed life, and a second reward that we see is an empowered life. An empowered life. We see internally or divine action in, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Some divine action in Philippians 2.13. It says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, silly illustration, but I'm going to take this chair here, okay? So this is a chair. And let's imagine that I, I want to sit down in the chair. I'm tired of standing up, so I want to sit down in the chair. So I go over, and I kind of pull the chair out a little bit, and I just sit down in the chair. Now think with me. All of a sudden, does my body just, just kind of like, get drawn to the, to the chair and just pull the chair back. and Well, that's not how it happens. First of all, I have something inside of me, in my mind, that I think I want to sit down. So I'm going I'm to pull the chair out and then I'm going to sit down. 
say, Pastor David, where are you going with this? We don't just do things for God just kind of out of, you know, we're Christians and all of a sudden our body just kind of goes and does things for the Lord. God works within us and internally changes my mind, changes and and transforms my thoughts so that the internal transformation that God is doing within me then results in outward action. So we see internally God working within me, but then we see next, we see externally, we see human action as well. We aren't supposed to just sit around and say, okay, God, use me. I'm here. Just use me. God transforms our thoughts, and he gives us the desires. So we see both divine action and human action. Look with me in Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I think this is a passage that can very easily be taken out of context. God, I am delighting in you, and I sure would delight in $100,000. want you to give me the desires of my heart, God. No, that's, that's not quite what the psalmist was saying. But as I delight in God, as I think about all that he's done for me and meditate on his attributes, as we'll even review some during growth groups today, as, as I think about that and delight in his word and in his commandments, then my desires begin to change. And they're not just David Huffman's desires now, but they're desires that God has given me and God has placed within me. But then notice what happens next in Psalm 37, uh, 5. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. So in these two short verses, you see both divine action, how God works internally within us, but then you also see human action, how He will use us. It says, commit your way to the Lord. We are to act for him. God wants us to be used of him as we have this life for his glory. Philippians 2.12, we see external, the human action. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much, much more in my absence, notice this, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Man, what does that mean? Does that mean that I've got to, I've got to like keep working at it, and and maybe if I work enough, I'm going to guarantee my salvation, and I'll I'll kind of get to that level where okay, it's behind me. No, the, the the mindset here and the context is flesh it out. This is remember back in the beginning when we looked at our position in Christ. That's secure. Nobody can take that from us. That cannot be stolen. Our position in Christ is secure. But because of that position, I will and I should act out on that and flesh out my salvation that God is redeeming me. God is saving me. You know, it doesn't matter if you know another language, and many of you do. Some of you know several. But it doesn't matter if you know another language if you never use that language. We were in a country one time on a missions trip, and we went into McDonald's, and we heard some of the the staff workers there behind the counter talking in English. I mean, it was very understandable. They knew English well, but when we got to the counter, and I didn't know the language of that country, but when we got to the counter to order, then all they spoke was the other language. They would not speak English. And, and I think it was humorous to them to see us kind of point at the screen and go, hamburger, cheese, 
fries, you know, and they knew exactly what we were saying, but they acted like they had no clue, and we heard them speaking English in the back. So it doesn't matter if you know, you know another language, but you're never going to use it. It doesn't matter if you're the best football player of the world. And it was kind of fun Monday night, because Jiro was there, uh, Juan was there, and, and they haven't watched a lot of American football. So uh, I'm not the football expert, but I did play a little bit, so I was able to explain some of the rules of the game. And I said, okay, this guy's the quarterback. He's normally the one that gets the ball and throws and all this stuff. And we went through some of the rules of the game. But it doesn't matter if you're Tom Brady or if you're Stetson Bennett the fourth, or you're the best quarterback in the world. But if you never get on the field to play, what difference does it make? God, who is doing a work within us, wants us then to flesh that out for him. I read an article several years ago, and uh, of course the phrase, it was a play on words. You know, we hear the phrase sometimes, what happens in Vegas, complete it for me, stays in Vegas. That's not good life wisdom, okay? Don't, don't follow that. But so that, oftentimes that's what people say, what happens in Vegas, stays in Vegas. Well, I read an article several years ago, what happens in Greenville should leave Greenville. Now, what was that all about? It was somebody that was writing an article specifically to students of Bob Jones University who spend three, four, sometimes even more years. Some students like to make a career out of education. So they stay there for several years in Greenville, South Carolina. And the article was, was this. Don't just automatically, because of comfort, stay in Greenville, South Carolina because that's where you've been and you've made friends and it just seems to be easy. Make sure that you know exactly what God wants you to do for your life and be willing and ready and pursue to leave Greenville to use how you've been trained for him. Don't just sit around unless that's God's perfect will for you to be in Greenville, but what happens in Greenville should leave Greenville. And I want to encourage you, family, One Hope family, what happens here on Sunday mornings at Northwest Classical Academy, what we call our gathering, needs to leave Northwest Classical Academy and be used all throughout the week. If it isn't in practice, you might ace the Bible Doctrines Review today. I hope some of you can. But you may have all the questions. You may have it memorized. You might have that chart, you know, be able to fill everything out. But if you're not putting it into practice in your life, you are not serving God as he has called you to do. He wants to work inside of you to change you then to influence the world. We see that we have... A blessed life, we see that we have an empowered life, but then the third blessing and reward is we have an influential life. An influential life. Through our attitudes, we can have a huge influence. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without what? Grumbling, murmuring, complaining. Boy, that is a, that's a more difficult command than it seems at first glance. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. 1 Corinthians 10.1, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, referring to how God used the, the cloud uh, to uh, lead them by day, the pillar of fire by night, and all passed through the sea, the Red Sea. They all passed through the sea on, on dry ground. And the, the reference is, listen, you were a part of that. Our fathers, the nation of Israel, they saw God work in such a way. But then jump with me to 1 Corinthians 10, verses 5 through 10. Nevertheless, so even though they saw God do some 
some amazing works and amazing miracles. It says, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased. Now we're going to find out why. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these two things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. That's a somber moment. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. And then notice what's next. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, there are a few things in that list where, you know, when you read those, you go, oh, yeah, oh, man, idolaters, man, yeah, get them, God. Sexually immoral, you know, just, just playing with the harlot like that, oh, yep, yep, God, judgment. But then it gets to the point, nor grumble. Hold, hold on, hold on, God. Now, I, don't, I mean, you know, God. We're humans, and, you know, we kind of mess up sometimes, but this is a powerful reminder that our attitudes against the Lord and what he's provided and his plan and his calling for us are extremely important to him. And he wants us to humble ourselves before him, as Joseph did, as Joshua did, as many people. I hope, if some of you haven't bought the, the Daring Devotion book that I've encouraged you to several times, I hope you do, because those are some modern-day stories of missionaries, singles, couples, families, who have humbled themselves before the Lord, even in, in very difficult circumstances, yet they see God work in a special way. And so we see our challenge here, don't grumble. This is a serious thing against the Lord through our attitudes. James 5, 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. I don't know what kind of picture this shows to you, but sometimes my kids stand at the door. You know, if I say, hey, I'm, I'm going to talk to mom for a minute. And then sometimes, you know, I'll go out to get some water, and they go, oh, hey, dad. I'm like, yeah, hey, what, what were you doing? Oh, just here at the door, <laughs> just by chance. But in essence, God is present. We can't hide things from him. We can't, I can fool you sometimes, and you can fool me sometimes, but I can't fool God. He knows my attitudes. He knows my heart. He knows my motives. And this isn't to, be, this isn't to scare you. Thankfully, we have a very patient God. We have a loving God. But yet we also are challenged all throughout Scripture about the fear of the Lord, reverence, respect, and understanding that God wants to change us and transform us for his glory. 1 Peter 4, 9 and 10, I, I think this is a really interesting connection that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Show hospitality to one another. How? Without grumbling. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And then it goes on, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, why is that interesting? Because, again, I can fool you. I can improve on my acting skills and I can make it look like I'm really enjoying serving you and being hospitable. If you doubt that, go to Chick-fil-A sometimes and some of them can fool you when they say, my pleasure. You know how I know that? 
Because Audrey worked at a Chick-fil-A, and she heard some of the back behind-the-scenes comments. At the counter, an employee would say, my pleasure, and then turn around and get all upset. Christine has already told stories that, you know, how she works, and I won't name the name of the hospital, or we don't want to put down any hospital because we're all humans, but sometimes she says, yeah, some of my, you know, nurse coworkers, they'll go in a room and go, oh, sure, yeah, I can help with that, and then they'll walk out of the room, oh, that stupid patient, all day long, God. And God knows us. Just because we're redeemed, just because we're Christian, doesn't mean that that part goes away. We have the flesh. And so we can fake for a couple hours on Sunday morning, hey, God bless, brother and sister, and then get in the car and go, I can't stand that person. God says, show hospitality to one another, but without grumbling. Use your gift for God. Don't use it just so you can get recognition from somebody else, but use it for God's glory because he loves you, because he gave you that gift to use in his service. The building that we were last in at our church in Itupeva, Brazil, there was a cabinet shop right across the street. And if you're familiar with Brazil, and many countries are like this, but things are just built right next to each other, sometimes even sharing a wall. And so, you know, we're right across the street. There's not central heat and air, so windows are often open, and sometimes whole garage bays are open as they're, as they're working, and we're working at the church, and and we heard these people at the cabinet shop scream and fight. It seemed like bloody murder all the time. But one afternoon, I was over there and was talking. And for some reason, I, I, had, I don't know why I was over there, but I was talking with one of the owners. And she says, oh, yes, yes, we know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior as well. And I thought, you do? I've heard you fight. I've heard all the screaming that comes out of this building. So as, it's just a reminder of, listen, people are watching and listening. And what kind of testimony are we giving through our attitudes? But also we see through our actions. Notice Philippians 2, 15 and 16. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast clinging to, securing to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. I want to take some of these phrases here in Philippians 2, 15 and 16, and, look, and think with me, blameless and innocent. Blameless and innocent. Maybe some of you remember, or maybe some of you have this at home, but any of you remember the little game where you put this like mitt in your hand, and it has um, kind of a, a pad, uh, like a Velcro-type pad. And then there's a ball that you throw, and you're supposed to kind of catch that ball as it sticks to the mid. Anybody played that game before? Don't be embarrassed. Just raise your hand, look around. Okay. So you, you get the idea. As you throw the ball, you know, it sticks to the mid. But if you were to throw that same ball at a Teflon pan, what would happen? It'd fall off. Bounce off. It would not stick. And we're challenged here in this passage to be more like the Teflon pan, to live as best as we can in, in settling the matters daily before Christ. We're sinners, so there's certainly things gonna, there's gonna be things that we need to confess. But as we do that on a regular basis, then accusations in the general character that others see, as they make, make accusations, we should be blameless and innocent, and they should just bounce off. There's nothing to stick to, because although I may not be perfect, 
I have a short account with God, and I'm confessing and receiving his forgiveness. I'm secure in my position in the Lord. And as we follow through our actions, we're blameless and innocent before the world. What about without blemish? Without blemish. This is not as common uh, now, but several years back when Mary and Michael were younger, they, they really enjoyed the, the windshield wash feature on the cars. Okay? And so uh, as we would go down, a lot of times dirt roads or, or by construction, our windshield would get dirty pretty fast. And so sometimes they would say, hey, Daddy, can you make it rain? And the first time I was like, make, make it rain? Do I have a little dance that I do to make it rain? I mean, and like, what do you mean? Well, do that spray thing on the windshield. And so, oh, gotcha. Okay, so I do the spray thing, and it would clear the windshield so we could see clearly out. You know, as, as others observe our life, do you think sometimes they find themselves saying, hey, you might need to make it rain. You may need to do the, the windshield wiper thing to clear up your life a little bit because I don't see Christ very clearly. There's a lot of things that are blocking my attention to see Christ in you. You say you're a Christian. You say that you believe God's word. You say that Christ can transform your heart. But honestly, I, I just I can't really see much of Christ through you. And Paul says, listen, as best as we can, as we humble ourselves before the Lord, as we allow him to work in us, may we, we be without blemish for his glory. Next thing we see in the midst of a crooked and twisted or perverse generation. Certainly that's true in our nation. We live in a twisted, in a crooked, in a perverse nation. We live in a culture that gives more value to puppies than to people. Right? We live in a culture that tolerates sin but's turned off by the Savior. We live in a culture that is disrespectful to authority because they've declared themselves their own authority. We live in a culture that's interested in, in Facebook and in other social media things a lot more than they are the face of God. We, we search Google, but we don't, we don't search God's face. We don't, we don't look for Him. We don't, we're not looking for His will oftentimes as a nation. We live in a culture, and this has been very clear the last couple of years, that, that can't even seem to define what a man and a woman what they are. We live in a culture that despises purity but is obsessed with perversion and pornography. We live in a culture that doesn't know how to define terms like marriage, family, commitment, or true love. So you could say, as Paul did on that day, and remember, he lived in a time frame. Remember the church of Corinth? It was a wicked, wicked city. So don't think, oh, our times are so, so different. You know, what chance do we have? We have as, just as good of a chance, which is uh, the best chance in the world with God than they did back in Corinth, the wicked city. But we can, in a wicked, perverse, twisted generation, we can live without blemish, and we can live blameless and innocent so that, look at with me in Philippians 2.15, we can shine as lights. Are you shining lights? That you may be blameless and innocent, Philippians 2.15 says, children of God without blemish in the midst of the crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Uh, a while back, Hannah Newland was in town just for a brief visit, and so we, we did a, a bonfire down in our backyard and had a fire pit and 
uh, ate some hot dogs, but it was pretty dark by the time the night was done. It's like, Hannah, are you still there? You know, we, we couldn't really see each other very well. And not long after, Dad said, oh, I've got something we can use the next time we have. Um, let's see, there you go. Okay. I'm just, is that bright? It is, isn't it? This influences big time. In a dark space, this flashlight all of a sudden makes a huge difference as a shining light in the world. And the darker the atmosphere, the area is, the more difference that this flashlight will make. You know, we live, again, in a very, very dark and perverse nation and generation, which means our light will shine even brighter. God wants us to be such that we live an influential life for him because as we live innocent and blameless and without blemish, in the midst of all this, remember, we're sent into the world. No, we're not of the world, but we are sent into the world. We're not just to isolate ourselves. We're not just to, just to quarantine all week long and go, okay, I'm back at the gathering and I can enjoy fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ and then quarantine again for the next week. No, we are in the world. And that's by God's design. But we're to be shining lights of the gospel for him. All throughout Christmas season, some of you may have gone to see some Christmas light displays. You know, we did as a family and enjoyed that. Years ago, I went to Callaway Gardens, and, and each place boasts how many lights they have. You know, so this place has so many million lights and so many miles of lit paths. Why? Because it makes a difference. And it's attractive, and it stands out in the dark, and that's exactly what God wants us to be. He wants us to shine as lights in a dark world. And then notice, lastly, in Philippians 2.16, the question then for you is, are you holding forth the word of life? Are you holding forth the word of life? Philippians 2.16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now, a good question, a good way to test this is if others would observe your life for a few weeks, maybe for a few months, what, what kind of summary would they come back with? If they had to observe your life and you had no idea, but they were watching your life and seeing how you spend your money and your time and what, what motivates you and what, man, and what lights you up, I mean, you just get excited when you talk about that or you do a certain thing. If they observed that for a couple months, and they came back and were write a description and summarize what your life was about, what would they say and what would they write? As they looked at your life, would they go, that person, boy, they are pursuing education with every ounce of energy they have, and that is consuming them. That is their all-out priority, is their educational degrees and educational future. That's what it is for them. You say, wow, that's not me. Well, or would it be for you? No, that person, his profession or her profession, that is like top priority. And every ounce of energy they have and all the motivation and the passion, you can see it, it is in their profession. So, well, pastor, that's not me. Or would it be your, your hobby? Oh, this individual, every chance they get, they're talking about what they enjoy doing. And they're looking up videos and they're, they're buying different accessories and they're doing all these things because their, their hobby just gives them a, a huge amount of satisfaction. I hope and pray 
that as we follow God, as we humble ourselves, as we are serving him faithfully and with a pure heart, I, ho- I hope that they would be able to say, that individual, and you're, put your name in the gap, is holding fast, holding securely, is putting forth the word of life with everything they have. Yes, it may be while they're pursuing education. It may be while they're trying to be as excellent as they can at their job. It may be even while they're doing their hobbies and their fun things. But every aspect of their life is permeated with a passion for Jesus Christ, and they can't hide it. Boy, I pray that that would be the description for your life and for our church family as one hope. Now, why, what motivates us to do this? One is that we can believe God is faithful. The, the, the awards and the rewards that the world offer, offers to us aren't always so secure. I'm not a big Academy Awards, Academy Awards uh, guy. I just don't watch those. Some do. Um, in fact, over 15 million people do. Uh, it was started back in the 1920s and has become a, a very huge uh, award show, right? So over 15 million people watch that. But back in the year 2000, just about a week before uh, the Academy Awards were, were to take place, a shipment of the 55 Oscar statuettes were shipped out by Roadway Express from Chicago, Illinois. They made it to Bell, California, suburb of Los Angeles, and then suddenly disappeared a week before the event. And so the organizers uh, frantically, you know, were trying to, to find these and also immediately contacted the manufacturer and, and the factory and says, can you by chance in any way possible, and obviously I'm sure they offered more money, can you produce 55 more of these by next week? And normally it would take them six weeks up to a couple months to do these 55 Oscar statuettes. And so they began to work overtime, but a, a guy by the name of Willie full gear, was rummaging in some trash bins in Koreatown, an area of of Los Angeles known as Koreatown. He was rummaging in some trash bins behind a grocery store, and he discovered 52 of the 55 statuettes. Aren't you thankful that God's rewards can never be stolen, can never be thrown in a trash bin, they can never never go out of stock, Uh, we we can't ever displace them? Like the, the bust of Beethoven that is probably in some landfill, you know, somewhere. My trophy, Campbell's Soup Label trophy, who I have no idea where that is at the moment. But God's rewards can never be taken. That is a huge motivation to put our effort and our goal and our passion in serving Him as opposed to serving what the world has to offer. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we close this morning.